Amen. And amen. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. The sermon text is, is focused specifically on Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, but I'm compelled to read beginning verse 18 to verse 23, and then we'll, we'll pray. I'm reading out of the ESV, the word of the living God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let us pray again. Oh, Father, thank you for your word read. Oh, I pray this morning that it would read our hearts. Show us who we are and who we need. I pray this time that you would give us Jesus. Oh, Jesus, now is your time to shine. Would you get much glory in this place? In your name, amen. Christmas is eight days away. And many of us will have the joy of opening presents with family, uh, and perhaps extended family. Uh, If you get one thing this Christmas, what would it be? Did you make a list? There's one thing on your list you can get. What would it be? You got it? When I was younger, um, I would tell my mom what I wanted. And sometimes I make a list. And I give her that list. And I try not to say never. So I'll go with rarely. Rarely did I ever get what was on the list. Whether it's a video game or a bike, new Jordans that my friends got really got what I wanted on the list. See, my mom, she wouldn't give me what I wanted. She wouldn't get me on the li- what was on my list. 
She gave me what I needed. She gave me a pair of socks. You ever got socks for Christmas? She gave me clothes. And so every year I would feel a sense of disappointment because I didn't get what I wanted. But instead, I got what I needed. And now as an adult, I want what I need. I sure hope in eight days I get a pair of socks. Hint, hint, Tristan and Trinity. I would be glad to have a pair of new clothes. I don't think my mom knew it at the time, but she was preaching through her giving. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus didn't come to give you what you wanted. But he came to give you what you needed. And in giving us what we need, he actually provides. What many of us, through his spirit, what we want. I've slightly changed the title to this sermon. And if you're a title person, here it is. The sign of God's deliverance in the name of God's deliverer. The sign of God's deliverance in the name of God's deliverer. I want to, through the help of the Spirit, show you how God has provided what you need. Well, first consider the context and the sign of God's deliverance, and then we'll consider the name of God's deliverer, Emmanuel. First, the con- considering the context and the sign of God's deliverance. First, the, we'll look at the immediate context and then the historical context. First, the immediate context. When the author Matthew writes his gospel, he seeks to convey to his audience that Jesus is the Christ. The anointed one promised long ago to deliver his people and reign as their king. He lists Jesus' genealogy earlier in chapter 1 to show that Jesus meets the criteria as the Messiah, as the Christ. Matthew 1, verse 1, says, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, lines from which the Messiah would have to come. And three times in Matthew, in Jesus' genealogy, Matthew references Jesus as the Christ. It's the immediate context. In verse 18, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Matthew tells us how Jesus was born and the circumstances around his birth. In many of these details, I see some new faces, whether you've gone to church all your life or not. Many of you already know the details concerning the birth of Jesus. Jesus' mother was betrothed or engaged to a man named Joseph. This betrothal or engagement was a legal binding contract. The only way Joseph and Mary could break their betrothal, if you will, 
their engagement was through divorce or death due to unfaithfulness of one. Now, before Joseph and Mary were intimate together, she, Mary, was pregnant with the baby. And verse 18 informs us that this baby was not Joseph's or any other man's. It says that this child, verse 18, was from the Holy Spirit. This was a miraculous baby. And Joseph finds out, presumably from Mary, that she's pregnant. And he knows. He knows. It's not his. It can't be his. And so in his mind, he has two options. To divorce her quietly, for she broke the seventh commandment. But in divorcing her quietly, it would be raised, it would raise significant doubt as to how this baby came to be and put Mary as a social outcast. So Joseph's mind, he could divorce her quietly, or he too, Joseph could have shamed her and had her put to death for presumably her unfaithfulness. Yet before he could do that, an angel tells Joseph that Mary's baby is not from another man. It's from God, the Holy Spirit, a miraculous conception. The angel goes on to say that this baby will be a boy and his name will be Jesus. Now verse 22 says, all this took place, all that we just said, it took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. That's the immediate context of verse 22. There's also a greater historical context. This was to fulfill a prophecy out of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. In Isaiah, the prophet's day, more than 700 years or so, excuse me, before Jesus came, King Ahaz is reigning over Judah. Syria and Israel had joined forces and were to attack Judah. Ahaz and all of his people were shook. They were scared. And God calls Isaiah to go to King Ahaz to exhort the king and his people to trust in the Lord who had promised to destroy the kings of Syria and Israel. The Lord commands Ahaz to ask for a sign to show him that he will remove the threat, to remove their enemies from Judah. Ahaz refused to put God to the test, so the Lord provides him a sign anyways. And this is the sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, shall bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, several commentators suggest that there perhaps were near fulfillments of this prophecy in Isaiah's day. But Matthew here in chapter 1 makes clear that the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, 
the ultimate fulfillment of God rescuing his people from their enemies is realized in Jesus Christ. God himself, taking the form of flesh, God incarnate, carne, flesh, God becoming a man. Two things to consider from the context in the sign of God's deliverance. One, Jesus was born from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born from the Holy Spirit, not from man. The miraculous birth of Jesus is part of God's salvation for us all. And the sign of a virgin giving birth to a baby is to let us know that salvation, y'all, is of the Lord, not man. Oftentimes when our kids open any sign of gifts, whether Christmas or birthday, they ask, who got me this? They want to know to whom do I say thank you? To whom shall I be grateful towards? In this Advent season, as you and I consider the events leading up to the birth of Christ, and as we consider our salvation and ask ourselves, who got me this? Who got me this salvation? The only answer, as our pastor said earlier, out of Acts 4, the only answer is God himself. Salvation is of the Lord. The miraculous birth is the work of God and God alone. The emphasis should not be on Mary, as perhaps some of our Catholic friends would suggest as they seek to pay homage to her. Or the emphasis should not be to Joseph, who went through with his plan as the angel had told him. No, the emphasis is on God, who is the one who impregnated Mary, and who intervened when Joseph had other plans. It was God who saw fit to give the, te- the prophecy to Isaiah. It was God who saw fit to fulfill the prophecy in a baby boy, in Jesus. Church, all glory be to God. Salvation, yours and mine, is of the Lord. And then too, as considering the context of this passage, let's consider the sign. Jesus' birth was the sign of God's deliverance. Jesus' birth was the sign of God's deliverance. The Lord wanted to give King Ahaz a sign to show Ahaz that God would destroy the enemies of Judah. The sign was a baby boy, born of a virgin, the name Emmanuel. Ultimately, Jesus was that sign. And he, church, is that sign for us today. Jesus is the sign of God's deliverance from our enemies. From Satan, death, and sin, and dare I say it, even ourselves. Baby Jesus is the sign that Genesis 3.15 tells us that one born of a woman who will ultimately defeat our enemy, the serpent, Satan himself, Jesus, born of a woman, born of a virgin, he's that sign. Jesus' birth is the sign of sin and death being defeated because that baby boy would live a righteous life 
suffer an unjust death, but be raised to victorious life again, swallowing up death and conquering sin on our behalf. And now we can say, like Paul in 1 Corinthians, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that baby boy is the sign of the victory that is and that is to come. Church, whatever you're going through this morning, just look at the sign. Look again at the baby born in the manger, the baby born of a virgin, not of man's doing, but of God's. That baby is a sign. That no matter what you're going through right now, what enemies you have, what challenges, what trials you have today, Jesus' birth informs us that whatever the enemies you have, whatever trials you face, they shall not stand. They will not have the final authority in your life. And I know this, and I can declare this because of the sign. So consider again the context Consider the sign of God's deliverance, a virgin birth of a baby boy named Emmanuel. And secondly, I want to spend the rest of our time to consider the name of God's deliverer. The name of God's deliverer. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, a Hebrew name translated God with us. This baby, again, not of man, born of man's doing, but clearly of the orchestration of God. This baby would be God in the flesh. Tristan and I, we talked the other day. He said to me, that doesn't make sense. God being a human. I said, you're right. <laughs> God in the flesh. And yet, it's so essential to our faith, what we believe. John 1 tells us that the Word who was with God was God. John 1, 14. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was God in human form. He was fully God and fully man. Not half God and half man. He was fully God and fully man. And he came to be with us and to meet us and dwell among us. This core doctrine of incarnation, of God becoming flesh, is essential. Be reminded of the Athanasius Creed. I want to read a portion you're hearing of this creed written roughly over 1,500 years ago in which we periodically read at Grace Church. Hear this Jesus, this God-man. Now this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, 
be gone before time. He is human from the essence of his mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards to divinity, less than the Father as regards humanity. Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. Oh, the necessity of Christ to be God and man. And praise God he was. This divine miracle that Jesus is God and human, two distinct natures, one person. It's what we hold to. I want to look at three considerations in our closing of the name Emmanuel, the name of God's deliverer, as we continue in this Advent season and go into Christmas. Consider Emmanuel. God is with us. God is with us. The word with here is the same with Matthew uses in Matthew 2, verse 11, when he says that Jesus was with his mother Mary. Or in Matthew 4, 21, when Jesus saw James and John in a ship with Zebedee, their father. Or later in Matthew chapter 9, when the Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Or Matthew 28, when Jesus himself promises to be with his disciples, even to the end of the age. There's this, this intimacy with the presence of God, with his people. Or if you go back to the Old Testament, when God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Or how his presence was so near to Moses in the burning bush that Moses had to take his sandals off because God was with Moses. Or church, consider Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace to die, but were not hurt, nor their hair singed, nor their cloaked harm, because they were with a fourth man, who I believe to be a pre-incarnate Jesus. And just as surely as Jesus was with those three men, he came to be with mankind. He came to be with you and I. And so church, whatever your furnace is this morning, whatever you might be going through, let the name of Emmanuel, God with us, wash over you. Your marriage or relationship, Emmanuel. Your parenting, Emmanuel. Your friendships, Emmanuel. Your lack of friendships, Emmanuel. Your job, Emmanuel. 
your school, Emmanuel, your finances, Emmanuel, your future, Emmanuel. Whatever you're going through, let's say his name together. I know we don't like to talk, but on the count of three, Emmanuel. One, two, three, Emmanuel, amen. God with us. Some of you want God to fix those things. You want him to fix your marriage. You want him to fix your, your friendships or lack of friendships. You want him to fix your finances. You want him to fix your job situation. He's able. And yet above fixing any of those things, Jesus, Emmanuel, the incarnate one, he came to be God in the flesh, God with us. Not so much to fix those broken parts of our life, but to be with us in them. And he can be with us now. He can be with you now. He is with you now because he came to identify with you and with me. So he, God with us, but two, as we consider Emmanuel, consider Jesus identifying with us. Jesus identifying with us. Because God and Jesus became a man Emmanuel can identify with us in our weaknesses. Emmanuel can identify with us in our weaknesses. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You might say, well, you don't know what I'm going through. And there is some truth to that. Or you don't fully understand my situation. And there is truth to that. But hear me now. Jesus, he understands. Jesus understands very well your weaknesses. He endured many pains just like us. There's not any category of your suffering that the Son of God did not endure. He can sympathize with you. Studies have been done recently that have led many articles to come out highlighting that we in this country and really many across the globe are in a loneliness epidemic. People are lonely. Single people, lonely. Married people, lonely. The elderly, lonely. Teenagers, Lonely. Every demographic in this room. Studies have shown over the decades we're getting lonelier and lonelier. What's the problem? Some have pointed to the cell phone. Some have pointed to social media. Some have pointed to the pandemic or to this or that. And while all those perhaps have a a say in the matter. I think the real problem is, is sin and its effects. The sin in our world, but also the sin within, the sin that makes us cynical of others, 
the sinful effects that makes us want to retreat and not be hurt by anyone else. The sinful effects of our suffering and shame, of death itself, has made us isolated, has made us lonely. And the solution to sin's problem is ultimately, here it is, found in Jesus, who came incarnate to be with us, to be that friend that can relate to our weaknesses and sympathize with us when no one else will, when no one else can. Who can listen so intently and understand so clearly what you're going through? Emmanuel? See, Jesus came from heaven's glory to this broken earth to identify with us, to take on our humanity and to share in our experiences yet without sin. Have you ever been betrayed by someone you thought was a friend? Behold Jesus who was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. Have your friends ditched you and left you when things got hard? Behold Jesus, who was denied by Peter and forsaken by his own friends in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or consider him who was on the cross, who said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Have you gone through a loss of a loved one and it hurt? Oh, it hurt like nothing else. Behold Jesus, who wept over Lazarus and again over the city whom he loved who had missed him, who had missed him. Church and visitors, whatever you're going through, or have gone through, or dare I say it, will go through, whether you're feeling lonely or something else, Jesus knows very well, and he knows because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He can identify with you, for he suffered all that this world has to offer and yet did so blamelessly. He's the friend you're longing for. He's probably not what you had in mind on Christmas Day. But Jesus is exactly what you need. He's probably not what you had in mind on Christmas Day, but Jesus... He's exactly what you need. We've considered Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, and his ability to identify with us. And lastly, I want to consider Emmanuel, God with us, and his purpose. It's what Pastor Brian said earlier. God with us, his purpose, so that God became man, so that he could die for us. God became one of us so that he can die for us. You know, has been preached up here, the ancient names in, the, um, in Israel, in the, um, in the Old Testament, they were, they were used to, uh, in the form of teaching, to teach something. In Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God in human form, God in the flesh, and there's many reasons for God to dwell with us, but it's primarily to fulfill the meaning of the other name given, of Jesus' name. If you recall, when we studied Joshua, Jesus' Hebrew name, the name 
Joshua, Jesus, means Jehovah saves. Yahweh is salvation. In Matthew 1, 21, the angel tells Joseph that Mary's baby is to be called Jesus for or because he will save his people from their sins. The Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, he came so that he could save us. As we'll see more next week in our sermon text, Jesus, God in the flesh, had to die, had to have a body in order to save us from our sins. Hebrews 9.22 clearly tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Blood had to be shed. Innocent blood had to be shed. Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats was insufficient. As much as I love my kids, I can't be their sacrifice. There's more sin in me than I dare to share. Adam wasn't good enough. Moses wasn't good enough. Joshua wasn't good enough. David wasn't good enough. Solomon wasn't good enough. Daniel wasn't good enough. Oh, but Jesus. Oh, but Emmanuel, who came and who lived a perfect life who died the death that you and I deserved, whose blood was shed that we might be right with God again. Jesus, fully God, fully man, was able to pay the eternal debt of death that we owed so that by faith in Christ we might be reunited with God again. We might be able to dwell with him and he with us once again. You see, our sin, it separated us from God. Perhaps you didn't break the seventh commandment. There's nine more. And we've been separated from God. And we couldn't be right with God because of our sin. So Jesus, Emmanuel, came to us in the flesh to bring us back to God through his death, burial, and resurrection. He came to be, 1 Timothy 2.5, which says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What we really needed, our sin done away with, so that we can be right with God, Jesus provided. Jesus provided. In church, that's good news. That's the best news. Oh, for faith to believe it. A few words of application, and then I'll sit down. There's a song, a good old hymn book, called There's Not a Friend Like the Lowly Jesus. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Listen to these stanzas. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. There's not an hour that he is not near us. No, not one. No, not one. 
No night so dark, but his love can cheer us. No, not one. No, not one. Did ever a saint find this friend forsake him? No, not one. No, not one. Or sinner find that he would not take him? No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Stay with me, church. No, not one. No, not one. Amen. If you're lonely, you find yourself going through something, go to the lowly Jesus. But Christian, whoever you are, wherever you are, you don't have to go far. Because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28 to go into all the world, make disciples, and lo, I will be with you. He's with us. Colossians 1 tells us that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. He dwells in the hearts of his people. Christian, he's near you. Christ in you. Talk to him. He knows all about your struggles, but he wants to listen to you. He's able to identify with you. He wants to guide you. There's no friend like him. Go to him. Go to him. Secondly, praise God that Emmanuel has come to us. We, in this room, we can rejoice. Because Emmanuel has come. And we can praise God because Jesus, God in the flesh, is coming back. Listen to these words from Revelation 21 that we're told are trustworthy and true. You can bank on this. And may they cause you, may they cause me to bask in the God who loves to be with his people both now and forever. Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Now there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Rejoice! Rejoice! Emmanuel has come. He's coming again. And lastly, perhaps, perhaps you don't know this Jesus. Right, Pastor Brian, he said at the beginning that, that our hope, our desire is that you would know this Jesus. You might know him. Oh, but do you know him? I'm here to tell you he's come and he came that you might have a relationship with him. Would you repent today of the sin that divides you with him? Would you turn from your sin and put your faith, your trust in Jesus, God, yet man? He will have you. He won't turn on you.
He's the friend that you've been longing to have. He's the Christmas gift you didn't know you needed. And I'm here to tell you today, oh, you need him. Would you come? In closing, Jesus, Emmanuel, perhaps what not what we not perhaps not what we originally wanted, but exactly what we need. The friend we need, the mediator we need, the savior we need. May God give us all hearts to want what we need. Let's pray. Father, to that end, I pray that this Advent season, as we consider the first coming of God, the maker and creator and sustainer of it all, to earth, would you help us to consider again what we need? Would you grant us what we need? Give us Christ Jesus anew and afresh, the one in whom we so desperately need. Give us hearts to want the one we so desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen.